Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 619 for the 18th of November, 2018. This week, DxO's second iteration of Photolabs adds some superb features, particularly the ones that cut through atmospheric haze and the ones that remove digital noise. If you're not yet familiar with DxO, Photolab shows why you should be. In short circuits, the Mac OS Mojave update brings several welcome options, including the ability to create a darker version of the interface, create better screenshots, and enjoy improved security. Most libraries in the U.S. and throughout the world use OverDrive to deliver ebooks, and now there's a new reader application called Libby. If your Windows 10 Pro computer told you to downgrade to the home version of the operating system, well, it was a mistake. In spare parts, only on the website, as the holiday season approaches, online scams proliferate. Crooks have figured out how to use a U.S. Postal Service mail preview feature for identity theft. And admittedly, flu shots are not exactly high-tech. But why are so many people not having their children vaccinated? A survey offers some clues. Adobe, AlienSkin, On1, and DxO have all released new versions of their photo editing applications in the past month or so. They all have features that will appeal to some photographers, but perhaps not to others. I've already reviewed new features in Lightroom Classic, Exposure X4, and Photo Raw. Now it's time for Photolab 2. Based in France, DxO boasts about its engineering prowess, and that's quite visible in the second version of Photolab. The capabilities are uncommonly powerful, but the interface is somewhat cluttered and more confusing than in competing applications. Don't allow that to deter you from taking a look, though. All of the photo editing applications have trial periods, so I recommend downloading some or all of the trials and working with each one for a week or two. You might find that you'll want more than one of the applications to take advantage of each application's strengths. One of the most remarkable new tools is called Clearview, and it can be used to cut through atmospheric haze to produce a clear image, but it can also be used to enhance contrast and detail without introducing a color shift. Photolab 2 can dramatically improve an image, You'll see an example on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I started with an extreme wide-angle image from the McConnell Arts Center in Worthington, Ohio. The view is through a piece of art that's near the parking lot. The image needed to be cropped and straightened. Several areas had only minimal detail, and a shadowed area in the artwork was so dark that there was actually no detail visible at all. After applying several of DxO Photolab 2's adjustments, I had a much better image. When you open the application, you'll see the photo library view. Select a directory and you'll see thumbnail images of all the photographs in that directory. And then selecting an image shows a larger view of it. Double-clicking the image opens it in customize mode. 
The Move and Zoom view is on the left, along with EXIF information and the Presets editor. Although it was created on a day with bright sunshine, the image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website is dull. The keys to adjusting the image are at the right. At first glance, the number of options might seem overwhelming, and also at second glance and even third glance. If an adjustment is active, though, it'll be highlighted, and the small box at the left of the description will be bright. Each of the adjustments also has a disclosure triangle that can reveal specific associated adjustments. As with most applications, the key to learning how these settings work involves working with them. The changes you make are non-destructive, so change anything you want. You can always get back to where you were. I felt that an image of a combined globe and fountain at the Columbus Zoo needed a little bit of cropping, but primarily it needed to be more vibrant. The image you'll see on the left is the starting point. The image on the right is the one with all the enhancements. The adjustments create a photograph that's more like what I remembered from the day I took the picture. If your primary application is Lightroom, you'll want to be able to include the changes you made to images in Photolab. If you've made changes in Lightroom, you can export the image in the DxO Photolab to Exporter and then open it in Photolab. But if you haven't made changes in Lightroom, then just opening the image in Photolab, editing it, and exporting the changes back to Lightroom is the way to go. When Photolab exports the image to Lightroom, it'll create an entry in the Lightroom catalog, and the image will appear in Lightroom's library view. Earlier, I mentioned Clearview. And to see how much difference Clearview can make, I selected an image from September 2000, 18 years ago. Digital cameras were far less capable then than they are now. The image was from an Olympus OC2500L. I think that was my first digital camera. Only 1712 by 1368 pixels. And making the situation even worse, it was a JPEG image that had been processed in the camera. I'm pretty sure that camera didn't even do raw images. The photo was taken from the window of a hotel in San Diego, and there is a substantial amount of haze throughout, but particularly in the background. Clearview Plus has intensity settings from 0 to 100. When removing haze, the resulting image often suffers from lines along horizons and around trees and buildings. DxO's software engineers seem to have eliminated that problem entirely, along with the unwelcome color shift that also seems to accompany haze removal in most applications. So the image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website has two images on the left and two on the right. The two on the left are identical. They're the before versions. On the right, you'll see one modified photo with Clearview at 50% and the other modified photo with Clearview at 100%. Another significant improvement is Photolab 2's noise reduction capabilities. Noise comes in two varieties, chrominance, random areas of color, and luminance, random white spots. Luminance noise is similar to grain found in film images. It actually is less objectionable than chrominance noise, which adds colors that weren't present. Correcting noise should be done at 100% magnification or more. You'll see a blue shirt that shows a lot of chrominance noise, which has been reduced considerably in the corrected version. Removing noise always softens the image somewhat, but at a one-to-one -one view, the sharpness holds up remarkably well. Photolab 2 automatically corrects the optical aspects of known lenses. 
and it seems to know about most lenses. The program doesn't come with specifications built in for every possible lens. That's an intelligent choice because no photographer has every lens for every camera from every manufacturer. Using the menu system, you can examine a list of installed lens specifications, but there's really no need to do that because Photolab detects photographs that use a lens that doesn't have an installed optics module. It then simply offers to download and install the needed module. The downloads take just a few seconds. Photolab 2 includes a search engine, but users might be a little puzzled if they type a search term before indexing one or more directories. Until an index has been built, the search function will return no results. Creating the index can take quite a while if you have a large number of photos, but it's quite an index. To use the search function, the user types a number or a word into the search box. That's as expected. Takes a little getting used to from this point on, though. Then you wait for the results. Pressing Enter cancels the search. That seems like a user interface error to me. If you enter a number, for example, Photolab shows how many images have a matching ISO, a matching shutter speed, a matching focal length, a matching camera type, a file name, a rating, a subject name, and doubtless some that I haven't thought of or seen yet. I selected a single annual folder and typed 400. The search showed 726 images made at ISO 400. It also showed 24 images that contain 400 in the file name. Searching all of my images for 200 returned 9,219 images shot at ISO 200, 1,149 images made with a 200mm lens, and 2,701 images with 200 in the name. When I tried F-30, I got 7,308 images taken with a shutter speed of 1 30th and zero images made on January 30th, 2018. Searching for five, I got 3,004 images taken with a 5mm lens, one with a 5-second exposure, 4,318 taken with a lens aperture of f5, and 967 images with a 5-star rating. There may be a way to combine search terms. I wasn't able to find it if it exists. The search function, impressive as it is, and it is very impressive, needs some improvements. By default, the database files are placed on drive C in AppData Roaming DxO DxO Photolab 2 database. Now that's fine for people who have only a single disk drive, but many serious photographers have more than one drive and they may not want to clutter the computer's boot drive with those indexing files, particularly if the boot drive is a relatively small solid state device. I changed the location in the preferences dialog, moved the files to another drive. It's going to be interesting to see how this application develops over the next few months. Some artificial intelligence functions are planned. They should actually be out before the end of the year. That could allow the search function to be upgraded substantially. Despite the somewhat unusual interface that may seem a little complicated at first, Photolab is well worth looking at and taking the needed time to understand how it works. Photolab 2 is offered in two versions, Essential at $130, introductory price is $100, and Elite at $200 with an introductory price of $150. The introductory prices end on the 18th of November. So the bottom line here has to be five cats. New features make Photolab 2 a real contender. 
Powerful photo manipulation tools advance DxO's PhotoLab 2 far from the original PhotoLab. Although clear view and noise reductions are remarkable, there are a lot of other worthwhile features too. PhotoLab applies the settings it feels are appropriate automatically, but it's easy to override those automatic settings or to turn them off entirely. If you decide to try a variety of applications, make sure you include PhotoLab 2 on your short list. You'll find additional details on the DxO website. There is a link, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. The latest version of the Mac OS is called Mojave. I still miss the big cat names that Apple once used for its operating system versions, even though the last of the big cats was a 10.8 mountain lion. And the just released Mojave is version 10.14, so the last of the cats expired five years ago. Mojave adds some features that will be popular. Let's take a look at some of them. You can go over to the dark side. The Mac OS has been bright since the beginning, but now a dark mode has been added. Those who spend a lot of time staring at the computer screen will probably appreciate that, as will those who use their computers in areas without a lot of ambient light. Although the display mode is honored by the operating system and all apps from Apple, most third-party apps, including Microsoft Office, don't yet support it. Those who need to create a lot of screenshots will almost certainly still want to use Snagit. But Mojave improves the built-in capability quite a bit for those who need just an occasional screenshot. Press Shift-Command-5. Yeah, that's a memorable keystroke. Shift-Command-5. Do that and a floating box appears. You'll have more control over screenshots and video recording, but it's still not Snagit. And Mojave is more secure. Apple is trying to improve privacy and security by adding app-specific settings so that users can control which applications have access to various services and functions. Analytical data that's sent to Apple following a crash can contain a lot of personal information. Users can now limit what's sent in these crash dumps. You might even improve the desktop. You've doubtless seen screenshots of Macs with what appears to be hundreds of icons on the desktop. Maybe your desktop suffers from that kind of disorganization. Mojave now offers Stacks. Right-click the desktop and enable stacks. This will collect files into groups depending on the file type. So the clutter will still be there. It'll just be less obvious. And some features for big-time Apple fans, those who've really bought into the entire Mac ecosystem. For those folks, it's possible to use the iPhone's camera to scan a document and then send it to a desktop Mac. Those who use FaceTime will be able to set up group chats with up to 32 devices, Mobile devices need to be running iOS 12, though. And if you're a fan of stocks on an iOS device, that app will be a welcome addition to the desktop. And a couple of new apps. News is one of two new apps that collect stories based on your interests. And Home interacts with your various smart devices, so you can turn the lights on or off upstairs without actually having to go there.
Libraries do far more than just lend books these days. Many offer access to educational sites such as lynda.com and provide online access from your home to reference and research services. Patrons can also read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and read magazines online using Libby, a new service from Overdrive. I didn't check every library in the world. But I did confirm that Libby is available from any member library in the consortium of 17 Central Ohio libraries, the New York Public Library, my hometown's Logan County Libraries, public libraries in Chicago, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Diego, Omaha, Salt Lake City, Nome, Toronto, Vancouver, London, and Berlin. Apparently, though, not in Moscow or Beijing. So based on that spot check, it's probably safe to assume that a library near you offers access to Libby for free. Libby is actually from Overdrive, and Overdrive began providing digital content for library patrons in 2002. Two years later, digital rights management protected audiobooks were added. Starting in 2005, Overdrive installed download stations at some public libraries and added music to its offerings. A year after that, videos were added, and in 2007, the service was expanded to some schools. Electronic book offerings include fiction, nonfiction, reference, and technical books. Fiction, self-help, motivational titles, and classical music comprise the audio offerings. Overdrive videos include travel, instructional, concerts, and classical feature films. Depending on the licensing, some audiobooks and classical music can be burned to CDs on your computer. The new Libby app is available for Apple and Android devices, as well as for Windows and Mac OS desktop systems. If you prefer another reader, materials may not work with them. Books, for example, can be downloaded to Adobe Digital Editions because that application understands digital rights management. Likewise, some titles can be downloaded to Kindle devices, but not always to Kindle readers on computers, phones, or tablets. So the Libby app is a good choice for those who might want to read or listen to materials on multiple devices. To obtain Libby, which is free for any device, you can start at your library's website or go to the Overdrive website. There's a link to Overdrive on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll have to find your local library on your own. Once you get to either of those sites, you'll be directed to the appropriate file to download. To use the app, you will need to associate it with one or more library cards. Some Windows 10 users have reported receiving faulty messages from Microsoft telling them that they must downgrade from Windows 10 Pro to Windows 10 Home. The key term in that sentence is faulty message. Microsoft says there was a problem with activations for what they termed a limited number of affected Windows 10 Pro customers. And that limited number could be 15 users or 15,000 or maybe 15 million. The problem appears to have been in Microsoft's activation servers, and the company says it has been resolved and it's all fixed now. Users saw a warning that said the license key was invalid for the Pro Edition and that they should download and install a more limited home version instead. Users were also offered the option of purchasing a key for the Pro version, even if they had already purchased a legitimate, genuine key. 
The problem affected users who had upgraded from Windows 7 or 8.1, and initially the thought was that those were the only people who were affected. However, people who had computers that were sold with Windows 10 Pro installed were also affected, and it affected users in North America, Europe, and Asia. You know, overall, October was not one of Microsoft's better months. Problems early in the month caused the company to halt the rollout of the October update because the update had the unwelcome propensity to delete files and folders. That could be an annoyance. When the company fixed that problem, users of some HP systems reported that their computers repeatedly crashed. Regardless, right now is good on spare parts, only on the website. This week, as the holiday season approaches, online scams are proliferating. Also, crooks have figured out how to use the U.S. Postal Service mail preview feature for identity theft. And admittedly, flu shots are not exactly high-tech. But why are so many people not having their children vaccinated? A survey offers some clues. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.